0: Now, without further ado, this episode of the Daily Reprieve.
1: Welcome, everybody. My name is Joe, and I'm I'm a sexaholic, and I'm one of your trusted servants for this meeting. Uh, uh, would we'd like to start out with a moment of silence, and followed by the Serenity Prayer? God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Uh, I'll go ahead and start the sharing. Now, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the panel members. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I'm a sexaholic, and and I'll turn it over to the next panel member.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Richard G. I'm from the Palm Desert Group. And uh, I got asked about a half an hour ago to be on this panel, too. Glad you're all here. Uh,
1: and we have another panel member. who'll be here with us in a few moments, but he's doing some conference biz- or convention business right now, and he'll be joining us here shortly. Uh, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, this is a taped meeting, so please use and we're supposed to use the microphone. So when you want to share, please come up and use the microphone. Uh, and if you feel uncomfortable being taped, uh, we respectfully ask that you participate by listening only. Um, and I guess we'll go ahead and start. Um, I guess we're supposed to go about, what, I'm sure, about 15 minutes each, something of that nature. And so that everybody knows, this uh, meeting is Abstinence in Marriage for SA. Can I truly recover without it? And this meeting runs from 9.30 to 10.45 in the morning. Uh, I'm, I'm Joe. I'm a recovery sexaholic. I, th- I thought I would go ahead and just uh, share a little bit uh, about this topic and a little bit uh, of my past. Uh, I've been in the program now for ten and a half years. Uh, my sexual sobriety date is April 17th of 1991. And I've been married uh, eight and a half years uh, And, uh, I was sober about 15 months before I got married and I've been sober throughout my marriage. Uh, and my wife does work, a killer Essanon program. And I will say, first of all, that, uh, absence in marriage for SA, can I truly recover without it? It really, really, really helps to have a spouse who's working an Essanon program. Uh, and, uh. I, I can't be, ever be sufficiently grateful for that. And in fact, it was my my uh, spouse who who directed me towards the program, and uh, so I'm I'm particularly grateful for that. Um, abstinence in marriage. Uh, a lot of people resist this um, this concept. I will say, uh, uh, in in our marriage. Uh, the first probably five years of our marriage, probably over half that time, maybe even three quarters of that time was spent in sexual abstinence. Uh, it wasn't easy. You know, I learned pretty quickly that, uh, it's, it's really easier to work this program if you're single than if you're married. Um, because abstinence was very easy for me when I was single, there was just no sex, period. Um, then when I got married, uh, I had to make that adjustment, and that was not a, that was not a very easy adjustment to to make uh, from being uh, totally uh, abstinent and no sex of any kind to uh, sex in the marriage. Um, it's been a long, uh, tedious, and um, difficult struggle uh, to get to the point where my wife and me are at today, uh, and that has involved a lot of different things, a lot of uh, uh, of meetings, a lot of working the program, uh, the steps, the traditions. It's also involved uh, going to international conventions, regularly attending our two regional retreats per year, and a lot of service work uh, on the local level, uh, in the regional level, and on the international level. Uh, I would say that... We started having problems right from the very beginning, right on the honeymoon. Um, in fact, we got into uh, therapy pretty much about a week or so after we came back from our honeymoon. <laughs> so uh, it was a difficult adjustment. Um, but it's been a uh, a very rewarding journey. Uh, we have had individual uh, counseling. We've had... Couple counseling, we've gone through sex therapy, um, and so I, I'm I'm not I I guess we do what we what works for us. I mean, different things work for different people, and different combinations of different things work for different people. And all I could say is that um, we were open to this concept of absence in the marriage, and my wife uh, was uh, was very open and receptive to it. Uh, typically, I think what happens is, if you have a spouse who's working an Essendon program, they're the ones that usually suggest the absence in the marriage before the sexaholic does, and that was the case in our marriage. Uh, but I was open to it. I knew deep down inside we needed to have abstinence, and when she stated that, I I was you know I wasn't real thrilled about it, but I agreed to it. Um, and so, we've been married eight and a half years. And over the course of our marriage, we've had probably six different periods of abstinence, uh, ranging anywhere from a period of two months to up to a year. I think a year was the longest time we had a period of abstinence in our marriage. Um, and for us, you know, it, it would have been a whole lot easier just to have a celibate marriage than to work through these issues. Uh, today, I'd have to say that... uh Having a celibate marriage for us would not be the healthiest thing to do. It would be the easiest thing to do. It would not be the healthiest thing to do. Um, working through these issues has made made us both grow. And and even uh, today, uh, if if neither one of us is in a very good space, um, we will we will tend to err on the side of 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 not uh, of having the, of not making love to one another. Um And I'm at the point now there's times where maybe we we're both planners because we both uh, have our own businesses and we're very busy, and we have to schedule things and this is one of the things we have to schedule and um, um, and we have found that we work better if we do try to have some sort of a schedule and have a planned date. Uh, one of the things that we did do when we first met uh, is we reserved a Saturday night and Sunday for us. And so we didn't let other people or, or other things crowd into that. And, um, and that's been very helpful uh, in our marriage. Now, we do have a, a baby on the way now, and, and our first child will be born, um, God willing, uh, the end of April. And that will require another period of adjustment. Um, but the uh, the uh, the absence in marriage, I think... I don't. I know I can't speak for other people, but I know I couldn't recover without having that. Um, the different periods of abstinence allowed us to look at different issues. Uh, the longest period, the one-year period of abstinence in our marriage, was necessary because uh, we had some sexual dysfunction issues that we needed to work through, and we had to get sober with our money. And working on both of those at the same time was too much, and it was much easier to get sober with the money by having a year's period of, of sexual absence in the marriage, and that made it a, a lot simpler. Um, we've had, diff- as I said, we've had different periods, um, you know, from anywhere from two months to a year. Uh, I think we had one for a year, and one for six months, and a couple for five months, and some for four, and three, and two, and whatnot, and some just because we were tired and busy and just didn't get around to it. Um, it wasn't that it was a planned period of abstinence, and so that's why we have to plan to make time to spend with one another now. Um, <clears throat> I have often, with sponsees and other people, recommended that um, they be open and willing to trying a period of abstinence in their marriage. Uh, but obviously, if the this, if this spouse is not willing to do that, that's not something you force upon the other spouse. Uh, And that does it. Does need to be a joint decision, and sometimes the the other spouse can be the one that's resistant to uh, wanting the abstinence uh, in the marriage. Um, There's been different times where we've uh, experimented in 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 different ways, you know, of saying, well, maybe we need to go ahead and make ourselves do this, um, and, and later to regret it. And other times that we're glad that we did push ourselves uh, to move forward, because you don't hear a lot of people talking about uh, healthy sex in their marriage. Um, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. It's a very difficult thing to uh, practice because there really aren't a lot of role models out there. Um, I will say that there are. I really appreciate it when, whenever I do see something of that nature. And I, I, I was thinking of. Um, the movie The Green Mile uh, that recently came out. And I really appreciated that movie because it portrayed marriage in a very healthy uh, way. And I was very grateful that that was uh, was put out there um, because I think that's what's what God intends for my wife and me. Um, but can, could I recover without it? No. I, I needed it. Um, my wife needed it. Um, and uh, we never really had problems with, I, I've never had problems in my marriage to this date of fantasizing about being with somebody else or fantasizing about being someplace else. Uh, but I, I have approached it with a kind of a quid pro quo uh, mentality that, you know, this is part of the marriage contract and that's part of the consideration that goes into the marriage contract. And uh, so there was an expectation there, and I had to let that go. Um, and I still struggle with that sometimes uh, of having that expectation. Um, but uh, it, it's just easier to, to surrender it and 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 let it happen in God's time. It's a very long, uh, long, slow process. It you know it's hard for me sometimes to think back of where we were at because today. Sex in our marriage, we still have to we still have to schedule it, uh, and we do need to kind of push ourselves because there's time. Well, we're kind of tired, and sometimes you know we might rather watch a movie than uh, schedule that time with one another. But uh, we find that it, that it is important, and that we do better uh, when we we push ourselves a little bit. Now, if I'm there have been times when if I'm say I don't feel very centered that day. Uh, I might tell my wife, I said, you know, I, I think we need to wait a day or two because I don't really feel in the best space right now. And there's been other times earlier in the marriage where she would tell me, she says, I don't feel safe around you right now, and I don't want to do this. And so um, it really takes two to work this absence in the marriage. Um, and as I said, if you have a spouse who's working a program who has good boundaries, it makes it a whole lot easier for the sexaholic to work this program and to grow in this way. And um, I can't uh, I just realize how blessed I am in that regard of having a spouse who who has great boundaries. Um, I I oftentimes with sponsees when I recommend a period of abstinence, I tell them to approach their spouse and try it for thirty days. Don't say, Well we're gonna do this for six months, or we're gonna do this for a year, or we're gonna do this for ten years or whatever. I know people in the program that have celibate marriages and have, are very intimate with one another. So sex really isn't the issue. It's what, what brings you together, uh, to be intimate. And, um, I think some people can have a celibate marriage and that works great for them. Uh, I know for my wife and me that that, that's not, uh, I, we don't believe that's God's will for us. and as we're starting to, to uh, uh, start a family, uh, obviously uh, we couldn't start a family if we had a celibate marriage. I will say that the abstinence in the marriage is very, very freeing. Um, it has freed me up quite a bit. Uh, I'm in a book club with some with some friends that, that are not addicts, but they know that I'm an essay. And uh, these other guys have children. And, you know, they were talking to me. He says, oh, the second trimester is, is the best. And I said, well, what's, why is that? And they said, well, you don't get any sex in the first trimester and the third trimester because the wife doesn't feel very good. And I said, well, um, you know, that's that's not that big of an issue. I mean, when you've had a period of a year of abstinence in your marriage, that's not, that, that's not a big deal. Um, and and uh, the other thing we did uh, to help get pregnant uh, I'm not plugging anything here. I'm just bringing this to tie this into the subject of abstinence. Um, we went through natural family planning to try to conceive, and you can also use it to try to prevent conception. But, you know, they they talk about this being a husband-wife deal. You have to work together on this, but really the wife is the one that has all of the work when it comes to that. And I told the natural family count, uh, planning counselor, I said, well, and you guys say this is, you know, this is an equal deal, but I said I really don't have anything. The only thing I have to do is be a voluntary participant and abstinent at very at various times. She said, exactly. But she said, you know how that difficult that is for most people, and I didn't really, I didn't really have a conception of that because I've been in this program and we've had periods of abstinence. and I realized what a gift, what a gift this program is, and to learn that sex is truly optional and to have that freedom. You know, she went on to tell me, she said, well, you imagine how difficult it would be for your wife if you were bugging her every day, saying, well, when can we, when can we do this, when can we do this? Well, you know, I'm kind of putting a blaming mentality on her. So I realized then, uh, you know, what a blessing it is to be a sexaholic, what a blessing it is to have these tools, what a blessing it is to know that sex is truly optional. Uh, I'd have to say that, you know, um, our sex life isn't isn't the 4th of July, it's not uh, um, um, maybe how Hollywood would portray what sex should be in a marriage or in any relationship, um, but it's wholesome, it's clean, um, we can laugh about things today which we could not laugh about at all f- a few years ago. Uh, sex was a very, very, very serious topic um, and we had to set some real boundaries about when we could even talk about it uh and what where we had to be when we talked about it um, and it was a very painful uh, painful uh, uh subject to deal with and and to grow through uh today it is it is more natural it's still it's not real free flowing but it doesn't have to be uh there there doesn't have to be fireworks um, and frankly I'm not ready for that. I don't think I could I could handle that. I think it would trigger my lust. And so I'm grateful that, that our sex life and our marriage has progressed in a very slow turtle pace. Um, and because I've noticed there have been times where uh, where we have made love, where there's been no lust whatsoever. But if I start thinking about that a day later or two days later and start ruminating about it, then it can become a lustful experience for me. And, um, so, I mean, I'm grateful that it, that it is, that it's, it's just, it's there. It's no big deal, but it's a big deal if we neglect it. And it's a big deal if we push it too hard. Uh, and so it has to be in the right proportion in the right, and that's God's timing, not, not mine, not my wife's. That's God's timing. And so I feel very grateful for this program, uh, for being told that it is optional, because you know, when we got married, you know, I thought, you know, man, we're just not living up to this, you know. Um, and different people have uh, uh, different desires in, in that regard. Um, and I think it, I think it makes a difference whether you have children, whether you both are working, whether you both, you know, what kind of demanding careers that you have, uh, what sort of family obligations you have. Uh, that, that all enters into it, and so I have to say that it it varies from person to person. But I tend to think that everybody out there is having more sex and better sex than I am and or ever will have. Uh, and I realize today, you know, it doesn't matter what other people are doing or what they're not doing. It matters where we're at. Are we are we connecting? Are we intimate? Are we are we giving? Uh, um, I mean, to me. Uh, The act of making love with my wife should be a form of prayer. I mean, it's not just her and me, it's God, her, and me. There's three of us there, not just the two of us. And, you know, when I was in my addiction and I was so numbed out, uh, in that situation, it would only be her. (laughs) It wouldn't be me, it wouldn't be God, it's just one person. So that's what, that's what this addiction does. It takes two of the three people out of the equation and uh, it's a very uh, uh empty experience uh for my wife i mean that there's been some times when i haven't been centered and and she experimented with say well maybe i should be a little more giving and and she felt bad about it we've talked about it so we're pretty strict about our boundaries in that regard now um, and uh, so i'm i'm very grateful uh for this topic and for this opportunity to share and Particularly grateful for those that have gone before me and stating that sex is optional. It really is. But you know, when we let it go, God gives us something back that's much better than we ever thought we could ever have. And, uh, and that, that I'm very grateful for. Thank you.
2: Hi everybody. I'm Richard. I'm a grateful sexaholic. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Not as nervous as I thought I'd be. I just want to say I I, I want to give this to God. This is really um, something that I've I've wanted to speak on. It's my wife and I just um, ended a period of abstinence on the first day of this year, and uh, it was an open-ended period of, of abstinence. And I want to tell you a bit about <clears throat> my story and how we got into that period of abstinence um, i came into sa when uh, my my marriage was sort of terrible and one day when we were standing around the bedroom my wife turned to me and she said this just came out of the blue she asked me is there something you're not telling me and uh There was so much I wasn't telling her. I felt like I had been hit on the top of the head with a bolt of lightning. Um, I felt like God was showing me a, a fork in the road and I could keep going down this road that I had been going on in our marriage. And I could see where it was going. It was just going to destruction. And I could take this other path of the truth and follow it not knowing where it went. But I knew I had to go that way, and that's what got me into S.A. It took me probably a year and a half to get any um, sobriety at all. I just couldn't stop uh, sex with self, pornography, those other things. <clears throat> I did stop sex outside the marriage. Um, once I did decide to try sobriety, I had several periods of days and weeks and months. Uh, one period of five months, one period of seven months, and uh, thank you. Each time, you know, getting myself to a place of, I remember the, the end of seven months, it was like, I was in this really sad place and I, I just thought masturbation would fix me once again i kept turning to the lie i keep referring to this as the lie the disease is the lie you know it'll it'll tell you this will fix you this will fix you this will make it all better it it is a lie um that was when this uh, this period of sobriety that i am in started and uh at 364 days I almost lost it again, but uh, once again made the, the correct decision. Uh at the end of October in nineteen ninety nine with uh six something years of sobriety I uh I told my wife a lie. I rationalized it as a uh as sort of a, a not really a lie. It was mostly the truth. I rationalized it. And uh, <laughs> there's a funny, this is a, a story about, I won't go into the whole story, but this is another story about God working in my life. Uh, so I had rationalized this thing saying, well, I, I met this girl at the coffee house. To You know, I just met her there. Actually, I called her up and asked her to meet me there because the, I wanted to talk to her because uh, I, ha- I thought she had essay issues, and I found out her husband was definitely an essay. She had a lot of ethanol issues. So I uh, asked her if she would like to speak to my wife, so she invited us over to dinner. We went over there to dinner, and the first words out of her mouth w- were were, I'm really glad that your husband called me up and invited me out to coffee because now I get to speak to all of you, you know, so my wife knew that I had told this lie, and uh she was very civil while we were there
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then um as soon as the lady went to the bathroom i uh I got hit on the head again with a bolt of lightning. I thought I had gotten away with uh with this uh Slight deception. So, she, uh, let me know that things had to change here. I think, I think I'm gonna be completely honest here. What she did was she took off her wedding ring and flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> it was uh, quite a statement, and it got my attention um i in in my in my sobriety i thought well here i am a married married man i get to be sexual with my wife that's sober for me and a lot of the rest of my group uh, are single and they don't they're not sexual in order to be sober at all with themselves or with anyone else and i thought I'm sort of cheating here. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what they're going through. And I always thought a period of abstinence would be good for me and also to let me see what, what the others are, what's going on in their lives. And, uh, with this situation happening, I knew we weren't going to be sexual for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I asked my wife for a period of abstinence, you know, thinking I'll get a jump on it here. you know, I'll probably get three months or so of uh <laughs> a jump start and she said, uh, "You bet we're going to have a period of abstinence so in the beginning, it was it was a little diff- it wasn't so difficult because I got thrown out of the house also. Uh, we spent a long time discussing this this situation. seems like every time we got back together again, there was there were these feelings that uh, that came up. I could feel them. I felt the guilt, and I knew what I had done. Um, our sexuality was was good, but not great. It was okay um I always felt like I was the one wanting to be sexual. My wife was always the one that was... I I always felt like I was pushing her. Um, So we went through a period of talking about it and um, working out what went on there. I really didn't see... I kept rationalizing my my actions of uh, what I was doing. I was explaining the situation, why I did what I was doing, Um, how I was afraid to talk to her about um, wanting to talk to this woman because um, one of her actions is that uh, she says a lot that she doesn't feel comfortable with something which... I always felt like it would be controlling me and wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's true. So we went into this period of abstinence and it was a uh, it was an open-ended thing. We weren't saying it's going to be for 30 days, 60 days, any time at all. And I knew right from the beginning that that would be good because for me, if I knew it was over at 30 days, I was going to be looking forward to that 30 days. If I knew if it was going to be over in nine months, six months, three months, I would always be looking forward to what's going to happen then. With it just being uh, an open-ended thing, we talked about it after everybody calmed down. We both calmed down and we, we talked about it and felt very good about it. What happened uh, after a while is that the pressure of the sexuality... Just lifted. And for me, it was, um, before it was always like after a week, after two weeks, after three weeks, four weeks, like when is this going to happen? You know, when is this, um, you know, I I start feeling like this nervous looking forward, when, when is, when are we going to be sexual? And, um, with this period of sobriety, which it wasn't our only period of sobriety. We had a period of sobriety when we first found out what my problem was, for sure. <laughs> I was in such a fog then, I don't remember that, but this one I definitely remember. The uh, That pressure of being sexual just lifted from both of us. And such a blessing descended. You know, you can't, God cannot give you something that you don't want to have. If you want to have something else, God can't give you what God wants to give you. And what I wanted to do was be sexual. And what my wife was feeling was the pressure of me wanting to be sexual. And without being sexual, we were free to just explore our feelings and what happened was a, a deep affection sort of came into both of us we were we got to be very affectionate with us she said that when we were sexual she always felt like that if she touched me or i touched her it would have to lead to something or if uh, if she touched me She was giving me a signal that she wanted to be sexual. And, of course, me being a sexaholic, I would like, you know, oh, at last kind of thing. And um, what the period of abstinence did was free us from all those little games that go on between people that when you're in them, you do not understand what's going on. All you know is that there's uncomfortableness and anger and, resentment and retaliation and you know these things that happen what was able to happen is we could just touch each other and look at each other and smile at each other and wake up in the morning and look over and just be so grateful that the other one is here um i often go to bed later than my wife and uh One of the things that was just amazing to me would be, my wife would, I, I'd come in, I'd climb into bed very quietly so as to try my utmost not to wake her up. And she'd be sleeping over there. And I'd reach over with my foot very slowly and just touch her with my toe. And uh, it would be the most wonderful feeling to just do that. Like after six or eight months of sobriety, just to reach over with my toe. And I never thought there would be anything to compare in this world with an orgasm, you know, making love and having an orgasm with the person you love. But, uh, and it's nothing like a physical thing, but just to reach over and know that the person you love is there and warm and alive, and God has given you this person and you're healing from something that you didn't even know you needed to heal from. Uh, just the touch is like, I just had this image. The, I don't know whether it's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but God and, and man doing this, and uh, they're just about to touch, and that's what I felt like. Every time I'd reach over and touch her with my toe, it would be like, oh, thank you God. And uh, I told you she she flushed her wedding ring down the toilet. Uh, I lost mine very early in our marriage because I took it off because I was carrying cement blocks and, and I lost it. I, and I had made those rings. I had made them and they were <clears throat> they were attached together uh, in in the mold with a with a lump of gold. So mine was gone and hers was gone, but the lump that uh that like fed them. I had and uh, we were looking around to get new rings and to renew our vows before we were sexual again and toward the end we both started feeling like uh, we wanted to do this we wanted to get back to being sexual but uh, it just seems like we kept being frustrated by this that and the other and toward the end I was starting to get a little a little frustrated with it all but we finally found someone to make us new rings which I I have right here which is made out of that same gold and uh a couple of crowns of mine and a few other little things but uh we finally did that and just before the new year we decided we were going to go up on a uh, a rock behind our house and renew our vows and we didn't want to you know make out any elaborate ceremony or have any anyone else there uh but well, we found ourselves on New Year's Eve just wanting to go to bed early and not stay up till midnight. But then when we got up in bed, we just started talking. And the wonderful thing is we just enjoy so much talking together. And there was no pressure to end anything, you know, in general. Um, so we were up in bed talking and talking and talking. We were talking about our hopes and our fears and everything. And then we noticed it's it's midnight. And uh, I forget whether it was she or I. I think I might have said, "Well, we've essentially said everything we wanted to say to each other. What do you feel like?" And I said, and she said, "Yeah, I, I feel like that too." And then she looked over at me, and at about two minutes past midnight uh, on January 1st, she she just said to me, "Will you marry me?" And I just melted, and I said, "Yes, will you marry me?" And uh, and that's. Uh, we got married again. Uh, and then we just went to sleep. <laughs> and that, is, my friends, is a miracle. It's, you know me, I, I know a lot of you know me because you're, you're in this room. And, uh, it really is a miracle. And the next morning, uh, I, I didn't, think we were going to make love or anything. Um, it was her idea. And it just felt like the most comfortable thing that I have ever experienced. And we've made love twice. And uh, I've completely let it go. It, it's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful to not have that pressure in me, let alone not Having me be that pressure to her it's it's such a blessing so um, I would highly recommend in and, and you can't i I really feel like this is something you can't force i in my case, uh God told me it was time. it was so obvious to me <laughs> um, but i i I recommend abstinence and i and i really do feel like i can answer that question Um, maybe this isn't the one saturday afternoon saturday morning can i truly recover without it i thought i could but you know seeing it from this end you know we we have these perspectives when you're when you're in a certain position you can't see what's going on ahead you can see Get get some kind of perspective about when what went on behind. Uh, I thought I could I thought I could recover without it. I thought I was doing all right, but from where I am now, I look back and see, yeah, I was doing all right, but there's there's another step I can take here. I I didn't take it. I was sort of, you know, shuffled into it. I was I was standing on the edge, and God gave me that little. A little tap I needed to take the step into the unknown, and that—that that was exactly what I needed. So, I want to thank Neil for giving me the opportunity to share that. I—I I feel just so good about this. That, uh, and I'm so grateful to God that that uh, He did give me that little nudge because I needed it. I was—I was really afraid to begin that. I was really afraid to begin that. But now that I was, now that I've gone through it, I I think we'll probably do more of it later on. With neither one of us are interested in doing it now. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
3: I'm Neil, gratefully recovering sexaholic, you, Neil. and uh, glad to to be here. And um, Richard, an answer to your or in response to your thanking me, thank God, um, because last night in my prayers, I asked God to put in front of me or bring to me anyone that he felt um, needed to share or had a message that needed to be carried that people needed to hear, and when I came downstairs this morning, you asked me if you could share on abstinence, so so thank God. Um, abstinence is uh, a topic that I always enjoy. I'm sharing about because I, I don't believe I would be sober and recovering today had I not gone through a period of abstinence. Um, I don't remember when we first went into abstinence. I know it was I had been sober probably for about a year, but every time we would do our reading in our meeting, it always would hit me in the gut when we got to that part of sex being optional, and the thought would always occur to me: How do I know sex is optional because I'm married? Um, yes, I'm not acting out with myself. Yes, I'm not looking at pornography. Uh, yes, I'm not cruising for prostitutes. And I'm not um, having sex outside the marriage. But that still doesn't mean that sex is optional. Um, and how do I know I'm not lusting in my marriage? You know, I'm telling myself intellectually that I'm not. But how do I actually know that? Um, I said, until I go through a period of being free of sex, there's no way for me to know because I have nothing to compare it to. Because the reality is, I came into the marriage as a sexaholic. I'm still married to the same person that I was married to as a sexaholic. Um, We had sex when I was a sexaholic, and we were sexually active after I started to recover. So I thought there's virtually no way for me to know where I am in this recovery process unless I have a a period of, um, you know, as it says in our literature, that many of us choose to have a period of drying out. And um, was it something I wanted to do? No. Um, But it was something that just kept coming up. You know, and I know for myself when things come up for me, especially around recovery, it's God telling me this is something I have to do. Um, for me that's always a choice point when something uh comes up because it for me it's God saying that, Neil, you're at a crossroads and I can continue to heal you, but this is the action you've got to take and the choice is yours. You can stop here or we can continue on this process of healing, but here's one of these tough choices you've got to make. And after I get that enough, um I'm grateful to God to be able to say that I've typically in recovery, I've always taken the action. Um, and I wouldn't be here today had I not done that. And abstinence was one that just kept coming up for me. And I started doing some reading about it. And uh, in the reading, I had read that um, you needed, if you were going to be abstinent, you needed to be abstinent for a period of time. Uh, that it needed to be at least three months. That it took that much time uh, to dry out, uh, so to speak. So, um, me being a sexaholic and being a compulsive person, I thought, well, I guess I need to do it for six months. <laughs> because whatever you tell me is is works. My mind always says, well, I have to do twice as much because I'm an obsessive compulsive person. Um, but needless to say, um, abstinence wasn't something I wanted to wanted to do. And it took me building up a little bit of resentment towards my wife in order to take um, the action. That was kind of the the catalyst. It was, well, I'll I'll show you. Um, because there was a time when she didn't want to be sexual, and I wanted to be sexual. And I was really tired of having those feelings of wanting to be sexual, the expectation of, of being sexual, um, and then getting resentful if we weren't sexual. You know, because I, too, I mean, we couldn't touch one another. You know, if my wife held my hand, my head said, oh, maybe we're going to be sexual tonight. You know, if she said good morning and smiled, maybe we're going to be sexual. <laughs> you know, and it was, uh, you know, Neil, this is what people do. You know, they, they, it's okay for a married couple to hold hands, and it's okay for your wife to smile at you. It doesn't have to be about sex. But I couldn't separate the two. So we weren't able to be physical with one another without being sexual. And at the time, we were going to see a, um, a therapist, and we had talked to her about it, and she said the one thing that you have to do is if you're going to go into a period of abstinence, It can't be where you just shut down and separate from one another. You have to be physically intimate with one another and just not sexual. She said, because if you just separate from one another, then um, you're just distancing yourself. And that's not learning how to be intimate, because the goal is to learn how to be intimate. Took that to mean that the therapist said, well, you can just do anything as long as you're not sexual. And so that period of abstinence didn't last very long. You know, I don't remember what it was, but it was less than a month, I believe. Um, Then we decided to try abstinence again. And we decided that there needed to be boundaries as to, yes, we needed to be intimate, but we needed to define what that meant. Um, What intimate meant for her and what it meant for me that was not in a sexual nature. And that was the first time we'd ever talked about sex. Because sex was something we never talked about. You know, it was interesting when... um, a couple of you guys were or when you were talking about being able to talk about sex and preparing when we couldn't talk about it at all I mean it just it just wasn't possible uh, for us to do that because for me, I had all sorts of shame around around sex it would bring up all sorts of feelings for me um, because of all my acting out and uh, so i just i couldn't couldn't talk about it you know we would start to to argue um so we had to talk about uh, boundaries and that was a challenge because What she thought was a boundary for me, it was. Well, what's the big deal with that? And and I needed, and it helped me to understand that that's her boundary, and it doesn't make any difference what how I relate to it. It's if that's a boundary for her, then it's a boundary. And it also helped me to understand and to be able to honor um, her boundaries as a person. So when we got into abstinence, um, she was doing. Andrea was doing it for me because I felt that I really needed to do this for my recovery. And it was interesting because after about 30 days of abstinence, I knew and I was extremely grateful that God had pushed me into being abstinent because I started going through withdrawal. I went through all of the same withdrawal that I went through when I stopped acting out. I had um, all of the same physical. I mean, I had headaches. I went into depression. I went through all the same things, and I thought, wow. You know, and here I thought that I was sober, and if I've been sober for over a year, why am I feeling the exact same feelings that I felt when I went into sobriety when I'd been acting out all my life? And that really turned a light on it and said, "Wow, you really needed to do this. That you really weren't it, you really weren't sober in the sense that you thought you were. So thank God, um you took this step." And after I went through the withdrawal, it wasn't as long as um when I first got sober, but it was a lot of the same things in a much shorter period of time. And then after that, I started to um I really started to grow. I really started to learn more about myself. I started to see more of myself. It was like this whole world opened up once sex was taken out of the equation. Um, I had more energy to do things because suddenly I didn't have any thoughts about were we going to be sexual the next day or that night. Suddenly that was gone. And it was like, wow, there's this mind up here that's been occupied with, yes, yeah, let go of all the acting out stuff, but it still hasn't let go of am, are my wife and I going to be sexual and suddenly that was that was gone that was no longer an issue and that was a huge gift that was a tremendous uh gift not having that and i started to learn more about me yeah, i really started to learn more about myself then the other gift that we experienced was the gift of being able to um, to be able to touch one another i could never do that it wasn't possible for me to touch my wife without sex being in the back of my mind if not the very forefront of my mind and to be able to Touch her and know that sex was not a part of it. Um, You know, to be able to hold her hand, to be able to hold her, to just to be able to just lie in bed and just hold one another. And and there were many times when after that, I would think, you know, this is better than being sexual, Um, because there's this this can't get clouded. This is real. This is absolutely 100% real. There's no my sexaholism can't enter into this. Um, And that was that was a huge gift. Yeah, a, a tremendous gift. Um, I started to see her um, more for who she is, uh, because up to that point, even coming in, before recovery, um, she was just, she was there to feed my disease. Um, and, it, and it's painful me, for me to say that, but that's the truth. I mean, I used her to feed my disease. And after I got into recovery, I didn't know it, but she was still feeding my disease, and I realized that when I became abstinent, because suddenly, I remember one day when I just started crying, and I said, I love this person so much, and I never had that emotional feeling before abstinence, because I was blocked by the sexual energy and by the sexual attraction, and once I took that away, I realized, well, I've really, God has really given me a gift of a person that I truly love, and uh, no matter how long I would have been sober, I would not have gotten that gift without a period of... Without a period of abstinence, um, and I would and I would share with her all these things that were going on for me that I was excited about, and for her, it was well. I'm glad to hear that you're excited, and I really don't like this this abstinence because it wasn't her idea. And um, after we were abstinent for about three months, I said, Well, you know, I know I said six months, but I'm healed. I don't need to be abstinent anymore. <laughs> And she said, no, there's a reason that you said six months. And unfortunately, um, and just like um, Joe shared, having a spouse that will hold to their boundaries is a gift. And she said, no, nope, God, that six months didn't just come out of the clear blue. That was God saying that six months, and it's going to be six months. You know, she said, I don't know why, but that's what we said. And I didn't even want to do this, but we're going to go six months. And then suddenly, after we went beyond that part, she started to enjoy the benefits of, of abstinence. So it ended up being more than a 6 month period because after we hit 6 months then we left it open ended um because I too was seeing the deadline out there you know I was I too was seeing that and that was a huge gift when we finally just left it open ended and it ended up being over 7 months and um yeah I can't tell you the gift that that is to do that and it's it's scary because so much of um me was connected to being sexual with her, and so much of her was connected to being sexual. So there's there were all these fears about, are we ever going to be sexual again? Um, and I remember I would call people. I remember I would I would get on the phone and, and call people that had done this before me, and, and I would ask them, you know, can you be abstinent too long? You know, can you get to a point where your wife suddenly says, you know, this is great, I don't want to be sexual anymore. <laughs> I mean, all these fears that I had. You know, all these fears that would run through my mind about, you know, is this really the right thing to do? And just would periodically come up of, you know, this could be permanent. <laughs>
4: um,
3: but fortunately, we never surrendered to the to the fear, you know, and people that had gone before me said, just just let go. You know, just let go and know that that it's unfolding. The reality is your relationship's better now than it was before. So what if it's permanent? You're still better than you were. So so just let go. And um and fortunately, I'm grateful to say that i that I did We have since had periods of abstinence since then you know we've had a period of abstinence that was just over a year um, abstinence will always be we see it as a tool now where periodically we will just and decide that you know it's time for us to be abstinent for thirty days um, just to allow us some time to to separate from the sexual energy when we feel like Maybe this is there's some sexual energy here versus this just being our being physically intimate. And if either of us starts to feel that, then we'll just call for a, a timeout, you know, just a, a timeout. And that um, is a gift. But the timeout works for us now because we had the initial extended period of abstinence. Um, I don't think one would have worked had we not done the, the long period of abstinence before. And again, the biggest gift is I know sex is optional. You know for the first time in my life, I know sex is is optional that my connection is to to God and Andrea that that's where my connection is. It has nothing to do with sexuality. If that were not there, I would not love her any less. and I didn't know that. yeah, I didn't know that. There wasn't a part of me that that if she wasn't sexual, they wouldn't say, "Well, you got to go find somebody else um, you know because this is something that you have to have and this is something that's normal in a marriage, and today I know that I don't have to have that yeah all I have to have is the connection that we have um, because that's what I want. and that's what um that's what nurtures me is that so i'm I'm grateful for grateful for a period of abstinence. and um I highly recommend it to to everyone and it's something I too suggest to uh, to people that I work with that are that are married because again, I, I believe in my heart that our our recovery is very limited without it. and it is and I also agree with Joe that it's something that You have to come to an agreement with your spouse. You know, I mean, even if she, like Andrea, is initially going into it grudgingly, it's not something where you can just come home and say, "I'm going to be abstinent," and all bets are off. I mean, it. You know, you are in a partnership um, with someone, but don't let that be the reason not to do it. Because we can also go to a place of where I went to with Andrea. But this is what I feel I need to do for me to continue to get better. And based upon her seeing how our relationship was different and i was getting better then it's kind of like you know saying i need to go to the doctor and and yeah there's some care that i'm going to need um and i'm going to need you to help me with that care i wouldn't say no and she wouldn't say no to that and from that perspective she was able to say yeah it's not what i want to do but you're sick and if this is going to help you to heal then this is what we'll this is what we'll do um and with that i'm finished sharing mhm Um, Now we will begin the sharing portion of this meeting. This is a tape meeting, so please use the microphone when you share. If you are uncomfortable being taped, we respectfully ask that you participate by listening only. Um, Would anyone like to share their experience on the topic or to ask a question of the panel?
5: Hi, I'm Mike Sexaholic. First of all, I just uh, want to say thank you. Uh it was just absolutely marvelous uh, sharing, and uh, I'm really, really grateful for it. Um, my experience in that area is, is somewhat limited. Uh, yeah, three months before we got married, my wife and I entered a period of abstinence, and at that time I was in a, another S program, Um and then throughout our marriage, uh, we've never had an agreed-upon period of abstinence. Uh, we've talked about it frequently, but we've never done it. But we did have one a rather long, surprising period of abstinence from my point of view, which might be worth sharing about a little bit. Um, it was uh, right after my daughter was born in 1994, and we were at a period then when if we were sexual, my wife initiated it. So it wasn't really a period of abstinence, but at least I was out of the loop of being in the decision-making process. And it gave her some freedom to determine what she wanted to do, and and it it gave me some sense that sex was optional, although there was always the when is she going to ask thing going on, but at least it wasn't when am I going to ask thing going on. So anyway, we are in this period, though, of, of about six months to a year where she was the whatever initiator whatever you want to call it and uh, after the baby there was uh, we we basically had a three-month period of abstinence based solely on the fact that my wife never said anything for three months and my part of the deal was i won't say a word and i won't say any nonverbal words either if you know what i mean <laughs> there's a lot of ways you can communicate with your wife <laughs> about that topic without opening your mouth you know uh so after about three weeks, I'm thinking, well, you know, she just had a baby, relax. After about six weeks, I'm thinking, well, Christ, we've had that baby a hell of a long time.
4: <laughs>
5: and and it just went on and on. And I went through a period of just fury, thinking, well, what, what are you waiting for? And uh, I can't tell you the number of times I just wanted to say, look, I know I'm not supposed to say anything, but for your benefit, let me mention that You haven't said anything in 47 days and 2 hours and 12 minutes, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and for some reason I knew that, like, my job was just to shut up. And so I did. And uh, I did discover that sex was optional because after a while I realized I was more impatient about the lack of communication than I was about the sex itself. I just couldn't understand why isn't this woman talking to me. I mean, if she doesn't want to, why isn't she coming to me and... Telling me, hey, I don't want to do this for such and such. And I, and I thought, and I can't find out. And I'm a guy who wants to find everything out yesterday. And uh, finally, about 90-some days uh, after the baby was born, my wife said something about sex. And I said, is this a conversation about sex? She said, yes. I said, that means I can talk. <laughs> and I did. But then, you know, she said, well, how about if I talk? And she started telling me stuff. About her own sexuality and about her own relationship with me, which um, I'm, I'm the only person she's ever been sexual with, poor soul. And um, and um, she started telling me stuff about things that had happened 15 years before that I thought we had that we had worked on. I mean, that we had talked about. It wasn't like we had never done the work. And it was clear that there was a lot more work to do. And she started telling me things about you know never knowing in her entire life if she wanted to be sexual. Always in response to me. In her entire life. Not that she did or she didn't, that she didn't even know how to know. Um, and that that somehow in this three months she just had the freedom to let, you know, she had the physical baby and she had an excuse and she just had the freedom. And she said, you know, what's happened for me in this three months is I've been doing a lot of thinking. And she gave me the benefit that night of her thinking. And... uh you know, uh, it's it's changed the way that we have become sexual uh, immensely over the last couple of years. It's, it's been a lot more free. It's been a lot better. But having said that, uh, what I got out of your guys' talk was um, there are still some blocks there. There's one block in terms of particular set of behaviors that we have some tension around that we generally don't talk about and don't resolve. And it's okay, but I know it could be better, which is what I heard you saying, Richard. And then another block for me is still just what you talked about, which is just the tension around if and when. And, you know, we both say, well, once we get there, it's fine, but all the stuff about are we going to, it's, it's, there's still, so it, it just let me think, well, maybe there's, you know, there's at least uh, room here for a conversation about would, would this be of benefit to us. And, and so that's something I can take home. So,
3: thanks. I'm Harvey, a sexaholic.
4: Uh, I'd like to thank, thank you folks for uh, sharing. Each, of, each one of you have touched me in a different way. Um, I've been working on my abstinence throughout the last few years and it's just recently that I have surrendered to the process. Uh, the other times I think I was white-knuckling it and uh, wasn't relying on God and it truly seems like a different experience now. There's no struggle involved in actually getting benefits from that. Um, in the past, if my wife as much as grabbed my hand, as you had said, I would think she would want to be sexual right then and there. And it makes perfect sense because if a woman smiled at me in a store and at an intersection, I figured she wanted me. So, you know, if I went home, my wife touched me like that, you know, just went hand in hand. And... Um, You know, it's interesting you talk about the open-endedness of the abstinence. I'm currently at eight weeks, and in this marathon of abstinence, I could see the finish line. Now I'm seeing that it may not be there at 90 days, Um, and it seems like it'd be helpful not to have that pressure again of being there. Um, And you know, I'm proud to say we we just got new rings this past Friday. You know, which was a wonderful experience. And uh, I'm interested to hear how you guys did your vows because let uh, me go ahead and do that. One specific question I had about abstinence was where uh, erotic dreams and you know what dreams play into into abstinence? because uh, I know it is it has been talked about in a few of our meetings some of the literature. And I want to know what the board's stance on that was. Because it seems to happen, I've talked to other friends in the program and, uh, they say, well, I haven't, that hasn't happened to me since I'm 14 years old. And it pretty, it, it, it happens to me, you know, every four or five weeks. And, uh, I considered it a blessing, a freebie. But, uh, you know, I don't know because when I do dream, there's a certain amount of consciousness there and, you know, I'm aware, aware of certain things and I, you know, I just, uh, Wondered what your experience, friend and hope was on that subject. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
3: I'm Neil, a sexaholic. Um, through abstinence, um, I wouldn't say that I really had any erotic dreams, um, any more than I, I mean, periodically through sobriety and through recovery, I've had that happen. Um, not with any degree of regularity, but I wouldn't say that in abstinence it was there any more than in any other period of time. But I found that for me that's a form of of lusting, and I surrender that um, just as I do any other uh, form of lust. You know, is to uh, is to let go of it because I know when I do have any kind of a dream, it's very toxic for me. Um, I don't feel any different when I wake up. In fact, I usually wake up in fear. Because I, I wake up in fear because it feels real and I don't want to be there. Um, so it really gives me a really toxic, um, sick feeling uh, when that happens because it feels uh, it feels real for me. And the minute that there is any consciousness, I mean, I, I wake up and I'm grateful to wake up because I want to get free of it. Because to me, it doesn't feel any different than when I used to actually participate in whatever the dream might uh, might be. So that's just my experience on that question. I'm Joe Sexaholic.
1: Um, I agree with Neil on the erotic dreams. Uh, Those are things I I have surrendered in my sleep. Um, uh, When I've been asleep, uh, I can't go through the steps I do when I'm awake, but normally I can at least say a no in my dream and that has cut it off. Um, I view erotic dreams as as a sign that there's something that I haven't surrendered um, today. Um, I can't remember the last time I had an erotic dream. Um, I do know there's a difference, though, between erotic dreams uh, and, and dreams where there's just been a nocturnal emission. I mean, when I first got sober, my body was used to having an orgasm ever so often. And when I got sober, I did have nocturnal emissions for a while and my sponsors tell me well your body's just getting used to this change now if that continued on for a long period of time i'd have to look at that um, that that's not been a, a an issue uh for quite a long time but the uh i find today if i have a problem with the dream and i i i can remember one i had where i had convinced myself in in my dream that masturbation was not acting out and that's not a good sign. Uh, Fortunately, I don't know if I was able to surrender that at all, but I woke up and I and I realized, you know, I, and I think that was my higher power, waking me up saying, get with the program, you know. Uh, and so I, I got on my knees right away and surrendered it. Um, there was a period early on in my recovery where I had done some therapy work and did an inner child workshop, and I was very, very vulnerable. And I know there was a point there where... I um, wanted to really act out really bad, and and, um, and woke up and got on my knees. And I know the therapist at the time told me he thought if I had acted out at that point in time, it may spiritually killed me. I may never ever recovered, had any recovery. Um, so <clears throat> th- there is a fine point there. But today, if if I'm having a problem uh, uh, sleeping or whatever, if I like, if I wake up in the middle of the night, can't get back to sleep, it usually means my higher power is something to tell me, and I better get my journal out and start writing about it, because he's not going to let me go back to sleep until I deal with it. Um, but as far as the surrendering, I think today, if I have any problems in that regard, uh, it, it can be unsurrendered lust, but you, more times than not, it's unsurrendered resentment, or some un unsurrendered uh, uh, fear, or some unsurrendered people pleasing character defect where i i didn't confront when i should have confronted somebody um, so it's not just lust that can cause these dreams it's it's all of our character defects and um, but if it's a recurring issue then there's something there that's pro- that's not been surrendered and uh we just have to redouble our efforts in our waking hours i do pray every night that I, that god keep me sober in my sleep um And I do view those, if anything like that happens today, I view that as a red flag. I mean, I'm going down the railroad track, and the warning sign's coming up and saying, listen, you better do some stuff here, or you're going to derail on the tracks down the road. And and there's a fine line. I know some people have reset their sobriety date if they've had a wet dream. Um, I think that's an individual decision for somebody, whether that, in fact, is a loss of sobriety or not uh I know after I'd been sober for about a year and a half I questioned uh, I did have a wet dream one night and I questioned whether um, I had lost my sobriety in that wet dream and so that's an individual thing and and it's something you need to sit down and talk with your sponsor about because we can be we can be scrupulous and and be o- I mean overly zealous about that and I don't think that's healthy either I think there needs to it needs to be moderate so um uh, that's all I have. Thanks.
2: Do we have to end
3: that?
2: I'm Richard, I'm a sexaholic. Um hi. I had an erotic dream about uh I'd say within the last week and a half and in the dream I was I was sort of a not a willing participant, but sort of like neutral, it was happening to me, and being a sexaholic, I I didn't say no, no, no in my dream, but it was happening to me. <clears throat> I, when I woke up, I had definitely a shift in consciousness. I knew that I'm awake now, I want to be sober, I don't, um, I forget what your name was, but you mentioned that it's like a freebie to me, it definitely wasn't a freebie. It was like something that uh that was disturbing um, because I want to be in a place even in my dreams where I'm able to say yes or no to something i wasn't able to say no i I know I was not saying yes, 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 like I did back before I had any recovery um but i did I did ask God to help me with this, you know because uh, it it just told me about where I was at in my sobriety, you know I still have these dreams occasionally, but uh when I wake up it, it's a disturbing thing to me because i I really feel like the only sexuality I want in my life is with my wife, and that's only when um we both want it now instead of me being the one who wants it and her being the one that sort of gives in. The wonderful thing about this period of sobriety is we, when we ended it, we, we were like teenagers. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to do it, you know, and, and it was just so nice to have it flow and be uh, together and be sort of finding out about what this new thing is. And that's, that was just so wonderful that I, I don't want anything else. I, I want, I want it like that. And, uh, yeah, dream, dreams for something else that I don't quite understand. Thanks. Thanks, Richard.
1: Okay. Uh, okay. Well, I guess we have time for one more question. Somebody wants to share briefly. Or somebody wants to
4: share.
2: Hi, I'm John, recovering sexaholic. Hi, John. Um, I'm in the midst of a period of abstinence with my spouse, and one of the—I have a question for the panel, and that is, how do you separate sort of attraction to your spouse from lusting, and where do you know when you're crossing a boundary on that? Because I, I go back and forth
1: on that during this period of abstinence, and uh, I'm. I'm well aware of when I'm lusting outside the marriage and surrendering that, but I'm struggling with this issue of how to deal with it in the marriage.
3: Oh, you had it to me, huh? <laughs> you could have just laid it on the table. <laughs> um, that's, that's an excellent question, um, and I don't quite know how to answer it. The reason being that, for me, in abstinence, that was... Um, It was a feeling that came because lust for me has a certain kind of energy. I can't define it. And my love and connection on a spiritual level has a totally different feel. And I can only say for myself, I can feel the difference. I can feel when I'm, when I was connecting with my spouse and it was from the spiritual caring level. And I could also feel when this is some of that lust. Energy um, that's here, and that was something that was there for me in the early parts of abstinence. But that was something that, as we went got further into abstinence, something that dissipated. Because again, that was one of the gifts that came out of abstinence was suddenly being able to connect, and and lust wasn't wasn't there. So it was kind of something for me that evolved through the through the process of being abstinent.
1: I'm Joe, sexaholic. Um, I think it is very, sometimes it's very difficult to determine uh, what's going on. I, I think if I'm thinking about or ruminating about it or thinking about it very much, it's probably lust. And if I don't know what it is, it's probably lust. Um, and so it's, I think agree with Neil. I, I mean, I know what feels healthy and what doesn't. And if I have some question whether or not it's healthy, I need to err on the side that it's not healthy. Uh, and, and work through it with it with the sponsor and and you know working the steps and the traditions and that's the other thing I'd say if you work the traditions in your marriage that helps work through a lot of these issues by working the twelve traditions of the program in the marriage in the in all relationships that really helps uh separate those things. Thanks. Thanks Tim Alrighty that's uh, that's all the time we have for sharing. Thank you everybody for for sharing and for your questions and, and your, your comments, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to share. Uh, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of essay are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. This is an anonymous program, so please keep the name and number of anyone you meet or learn about an essay or SNN to yourself. I guess, I, this is an open meeting, so what we say here, let us stay here. Uh, we'll, t- we'll take a moment of silence, and then uh, I guess we'll close with the third step prayer.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com